This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Welcome to this week's episode of the MDT Podcast. I'm Dr Joe Preston, a consultant geriatrician in London. And I am Dr Ian Wilkinson. I'm a consultant geriatrician in Surrey. And with us in the studio today, we are delighted to have Dr Amy Heskett, who is a community geriatrician down in Kent. Yeah, West Kent, a speciality doctor. So I go out in my car to see patients. <laughs> so yeah, might be a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> and Amy's going to chip in and add stuff as we talk through this episode on foot health. The MDT Podcast. So we have some feedback, Joe. Yes. So we have our long-running feature of Where Do You Listen? Yeah, we've had a few people here, which is quite nice. So Marie, who's an OT, uh, listens on her way home from uni. And she's at Miss Marie OT. Yes. And also Janet Thomas, who's one of our um, avid physio listeners, says she has been listening in the kitchen making bonfire toffee. Mm -hmm. And she's at Janet Thomas 47. And then we've also had... Uh, Rebecca Howells, who says she listens in the office whilst uploading the National Hip Fracture Database data and when she's out running. Ah, multitasking. Multitasking, yes. She has also sent us uh, a little note. Because a little while ago we talked about random acts of compassion. Yeah, it was a nice thing that we saw at a conference event. Yes. So she sent us one, and I'm going to read it out. Uh, she'd gone into a bay on the ward to look at some of the bedside assessments, and there was a lady in this particular bay with quite severe cognitive impairment, which caused her much anxiety and distress. She frequently was calling out for her husband, and Rebecca had never seen anyone visit her. The nursing assistant in the bay on that day had made the effort to take the chair and a table to the bedside so she could sit there and comfort her whilst completing the paperwork that she needed for that shift. The mere act of this company, the soft voice and a hand to hold led to a very prolonged calming effect on this lady and it dawned on her that sometimes it's the most simple things that we do that can have the most profound benefit. Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? If you have any more of those things, let us know. And as a thanks for that, yes. um, small acts of compassion, um, she's running the marathon, isn't she? She's running the marathon and she has a Just Giving page. Yes. Oops. And you can find it at Howells Rebecca mm-hmm. on Twitter or she's at justgiving.com forward slash Rebecca hyphen Howells 0906. <laughs> so, yeah, pop along and... Yeah, it's for a good cause. She's running it for the National Osteoporosis Society, I think. Excellent. She is Ian's hip fracture. She is indeed. Second thing that I wanted to bring up was, I think there's two little studies that I've seen on Twitter Mm -hmm. this week that I thought were quite good and worth worth raising. One is a study on aquatic exercise. Did you see that? I saw it and I've meant to read it, but I haven't read it yet. So I'm glad you've brought it up. Ah, so I had a look. So this is published in Age and Aging and mm-hmm. this is November 2016. And essentially it's a, a study comparing aquatic-based exercise mm-hmm. versus, and I love this, land-based exercise. I did see that bit and I was yeah. like, brilliant. That's how I'm going to divide all exercise. <laughs> yes. And they found that aquatic versus exercise... Space-based exercise. Space-based exercise. And they found that aquatic exercise was as effective as land-based exercise. I'm pleased by that because I love swimming. And this was a systematic review of 28 studies Mm -hmm. and then a meta-analysis of 24 studies. But, and I think we'll start talking about this a little bit more, they recognised there was quite a high bias rate in a number of these studies, mostly due to relatively poor methodology in in the studies. 
Although the meta-analysis shows lot, this, it comes it? up a lot actually that that maybe the answer is not so clear. These areas are difficult to study. Yeah. yeah. And the next bit was there was a report from the Nuffield Trust mm, that I think I came out today. Yeah, looking at using data to identify good quality care for older people. Mm-hmm. So that set my alarm bells ringing. Yeah. Um, in a good way. <laughs> um, and so their key recommendations really are that it's possible to use routine data to identify significant changes over time. Mm. In your healthcare region, yeah, that I think makes sense. Yeah, by routine data, they're meaning things like any attendance data and that sort of stuff. Uh, and secondly, it's not always a straightforward link between the outcomes in this data and the changes that take place in your service. Mm. And I think this is something that's really nice to come out and have something like the Nuffield Trust um, produce something like this because it's something I think we all know as clinicians, we all see that you can't just do one thing for this person and this yeah. will happen yeah. because it's so complex. Cause and effect is complex, isn't it? But you also see people hide behind that quite often as well and say, well, it's so difficult to measure, we just there's just no point. And, and you know, and, and there becomes a bit of a pessimism on the other side. So actually, this is really encouraging. So we are going to tweet this, a link to this, uh, so you can check it out if you haven't seen it already. Yeah. And then the final thing is that the MDT podcast, that's this that you're listening to, are going to be on the e-learning for health website yeah which is very exciting yeah um so we will give you the link to that in due course when it all happens but that's just suffice to say it's happening it's coming and it's exciting the mdt podcast and as ever each episode we start with what this means to a member of our mdt so we've been out to see a member of our mdt and asked them about their thoughts on foot health and this is what they said Hello, I'm Alan, one of the GP trainees uh, up on Heberden Ward. So if I think about foot health, first thing uh, that comes to mind would be, uh, especially in elderly patients, a lot of them may not be able to look after their feet properly, so they're at risk of fungal infections, and sometimes they can develop into much more serious things, uh, like bacterial infections on top. So you want to make sure that there is no fungal infection hiding there. Sometimes they can have like ingrown toenails, and that can also sort of proceed along the same way. The other big thing about sort of foot health is, especially diabetic people, or even people due to peripheral neuropathy from any cause, where you can have what might start off with a very simple graze, uh, which then proceeds onto a full-blown ulcer, uh, and you know it can rapidly progress from there on. So obviously, it would be a good uh, idea to keep a close eye out for any ulcers, and also in terms of monitoring diabetics as well, making sure that their peripheral sensation is intact, or if not, making sure that. It is continuously monitored and that we keep an eye out for any ulcers that might develop. Hello, my name is Andrea. I'm a staff nurse working in Hebeden Ward, which is a geriatric ward. Feet are very important uh, for all of us. Uh, in geriatric, you find that feet hygiene is quite poor because um, I suppose they can't reach properly down there. Um, it's more difficult for them to do. And having dementia, they will forget about it completely in some cases. Um, so therefore I feel it's very important for us that provide care for them to, to make sure that food hygiene is done thoroughly. Uh, in between toes, it's cleaned and dried properly so you prevent any sores developing. Um, especially people with diabetes, they have less feeling in the feet, so it's very important to check them on a day-to-day basis for any cracks, cuts, opening. I would advise everybody that when you do personal care for elderly person, especially with dementia, do make sure you check the fit thoroughly. Hi, so my name is Amy. I'm one of the physios on a senior health ward. Um, so foot health, in regards to physio, um, there's a few aspects that we have to look at. So we've got skin, 
and pressure sores, especially on the heels, people who spend a lot of time in bed. Um, we might have to refer to different teams like TVN or the diabetic foot team and they might have to give us guidance on dressings or appropriate shoes to offload the sores if we need to. And that can, if we do get a sore, that can restrict mobility because they might say we can't weight bear on it. Um, So we might have to give them uh, an aid to walk with that they're not used to walking with. They also might have to have kind of leg ulcers dressed and things which will reduce the sensation they'll get from the feet. And it can also mean that they can't wear their normal shoes or slippers so that can increase the falls risk affect their balance when they're walking so we might have to look into appropriate footwear um, slippers to prevent the slipping of the dressings on the floor um, it can also reduce their confidence because they can't get that sensory feedback when they're walking when they've got their feet dressed we also have nails so a lot of our elderly patients can't reach their feet to look after them so they won't have cut their nails Um, they can often go under the feet which means they'll avoid weight bearing on the their forefoot and they'll just be weight bearing on the heel which can make them off balanced can also cause pain so we might have to look into analgesia so we have to look into nails and that isn't a service that's usually easily reached in the hospital so that can impact our discharge plans Also, we have to take into consideration pain because they can have a variety of conditions that can cause pain. Um, So we might have to look into analgesia. We also might have to look into different mobility aids again to assist them with the walking so that help them reduce pain less weight bearing so as we can see this is something that's really important um, day to day on the wards but something that people don't necessarily feel confident in dealing with yeah I think that's true isn't it Mm. and and it's it's difficult to know quite what we mean when we talk about foot health yeah which is kind of why we chose to do this episode so that we could learn a bit more ourselves and then share that with you so for me I think foot health is really split into two parts there's the form of the foot mm-hmm. and then the function. Yeah. So the form, I'm sort of thinking about the nails, the underlying bone structure, the skin quality. And then with the function, really sort of thinking about the range of movement, the joint articulation, the support structures that go around it. And there was a study, wasn't there, back in 1997, back in the day there, was mm. that like nearly 20 years ago now, <laughs> that showed that about 53% of people over the age of 60 had three or more problems with their feet. Which is loads, isn't it? That is a lot. That's a lot. And that study, they used, I mean, they used quite a lot of potential problems, Mm. but it still shows the extent Mm. of almost like the hidden problem, really, because we don't really talk about feet very much. Mm. Um, And I think it shows that it's such such an issue. So maybe people get a bit scared of feet because they're very complex structures as well. Mm. Got lots of bones and ligaments. And about 26 bones, more than 100 ligaments. Which is mad, isn't it? That is crazy. It's quite a lot. Yeah. I remember learning those once. <laughs> once. It's one that looks like a boat. I Come think. now, Amy. Yeah. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> and to actually look at your, the feet, I suppose they're always covered, aren't they? People have mm. either got shoes or a blanket on. And so it's difficult, you know, to remember them. But actually the skin has so many nerves supplying it and... And I think that that fits, doesn't it? Because it's mm. it's a hugely sort of sensitive area mm. um, with that that huge number. There's like seven thousand nerve endings or something mm-hmm. in the feet. Um, but I think it, it's it shows that it's really important for like stuff we do every day, Absolutely. like walking. It's all quite subconscious, isn't it? You don't stamps. really realise how important they are. 
And uh, it's a nice phrase that you've written down here, Ian. Thank you, <laughs> which, thank you. Which I quite like. It's a good way to think of it, is that in normal gait, the foot is the only contact with the ground, which I like. So there's no hands involved or knees crawling no, around or not, whatever. not normally. But actually, that's what helps to keep us upright. So abnormalities there are really important. And logically, yeah. anything that affects that is going to increase your risk of falls mm. or gait problems. Yeah. And I think that's why we're doing this episode, because mm. it really links into the stuff we've talked about before mm. on falls and balance in yeah, the first absolutely. series. And then the episode that's coming up um, as episode nine in this series, which is also on falls and falls prevention yeah. programmes. Outpatient kind of management Outpatient of that. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think it just sort of... It's it's literally the underpinning and the foundations of all of that. The base of everything, isn't the, it? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So there was another study there, uh, wasn't there, that was in a retirement village with lots of people undergoing tests of their foot and ankle characteristics, so things like range of movement and other physiological falls risks, um, like vision and sensation. And they were followed for about 12 months to try and work out what the impact of each of these things was on falls. It was quite interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think it showed that... I think 40% of that population, so it wasn't mm-hmm. huge numbers of people, 176 people, I think, fell during the follow-up period, yep. which I think is probably on a par with the rate of falls that we'd probably mm. see in, in sort of a residential home population. And then they looked at those people that did fall. And they found that the fallers tended to have a, a variety of different things wrong with their feet. So one of them was decreased ankle flexibility, one was more severe hallux valgus deformities, so literally the toes turning outwards. They had reduced plantar tactile sensitivity, so the that's palm the of the foot, undersole. The, the underside, the sole of yeah. the foot, that's the word. Um, <laughs> so, so reduced sensation in the sole of the mm-hmm. foot and then also reduced toe plantar flexion strength. Yes, that's curling of the toes. Yeah. It? Bringing your toes under. Yes, so strength. So that's what you yeah. use when you walk, isn't it? You, mm. you, you go onto your toes and push up, yeah. Um, and they're also more likely to have severe foot pain. Yeah. I suppose actually find if you had all those problems, finding a shoe that would actually fit and yeah. all of those kind of practical mm. day-to-day things. And it, what was really interesting with this, and I think I quite liked about the study, is that they looked at all of the other risk factors for falls. And even after accounting for all of those physiological falls risk factors and age, problems with the toe plantar flexion and foot pain were significantly and independently associated with their falls risk. Yeah, and that totally makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. If your foot's painful, you're less likely to put full weight on it. Mm-hmm. And then if you can't push Use off properly, yeah. you're going to have reduced balance Absolutely. when you're trying to walk off. And I think it just highlights that, you know, 41% of these patients fell over essentially because of their feet. Mm. And so we really need to think about... Um, the fact that our patients do have problems with their feet and their ankles and try and think about interventions to try and modify this as part of our falls prevention mm. strategies. And so that's what we're going to talk through today. Hopefully by the end of this, you'll have a better idea of that. So what we thought we'd do a quick section here is on ageing feet. So actually what happens that's different as you age with your feet? So what does happen as our feet get older, Joe? So firstly, there's reduced muscle strength in the feet and also a reduced springiness, Ian has written here. I think that's a scientific term for it. <laughs> well, that's what the article said that I read. Okay, well, who are we to argue then? I'm sorry, I guess that just the, the, that reduced muscle strength fits in with the sort of the sarcopenia and stuff that we yeah. see um, yeah. in other muscles as, as people yeah, so age. Yes, it's, it's not specific to the feet, yeah. yeah. The feet tend to spread out and lose the fatty pads, which act as a bit of a cushion underneath. So that might be one of the contributors to being a bit painful and kind of managing your balance. 
It's but a... not everyone gets pain in their feet as they get older. So it's not an inevitability. There's a thinning of the skin, which we see um, elsewhere as well, which can lead to problems with um, bruising, probably again pain and also um, increased risk of infections. And it can also be affected by lots of systemic conditions that we see that increase in age with older adults. So things like peripheral vascular disease, diabetes, are probably the two commonest things that we yeah. see. But osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, gout. Gout. Heart failure, because if people get swollen... Um, legs then actually that's going to affect their foot function it's going to affect the skin and being edematous and stretched and things like that and then finally thinking about the nails so the nails as you get older they tend to thicken but conversely they also get more brittle so they're kind of less protective and are more prone to fungal infections as well mm. and once someone's got a fungal infection they tell it takes ages and ages, to, ages to go doesn't it you know the treatment is sort of mm. months at a time rather than sort of short yeah. bursts of treatment and usually involves blood tests to monitor your liver function with the antifungals as well, so as a consideration yeah. of treatment. We often see people in the community with recurrent cellulitis, and if I keep seeing them, I'll look between the toes, and often it would be a fungal infection and a crack that's letting the bugs in. Yeah. So it's often a good place to examine if someone's mm. getting recurrent problems. That's a really good point, actually, yeah. isn't it? And, and it's something that we probably don't examine enough. Mm. You know, certainly probably everyone that falls over, we should really look at their feet. Yeah, you know, definitely. Just get those socks off and have a look. And so I think that that leads on, doesn't it? Those normal ageing processes Mm. lead on to some of the problems that we see commonly in people's feet as they get older. Yeah. So foot pain could be, um, so contributions to that could be the actual stiffness in the feet or arthritis underlying it. And then actually, if you've got pain or stiffness, you might have reduced movement. And you can imagine how that would make you more prone to falling as well. And maybe damaging other joints if your gait patterns change. Mm. Compensate elsewhere. Definitely. It might be more difficult to actually care for your feet because if your toenails are harder, that's going to affect how you can cut them. Mm-hmm. And if the skin is, is thinner or drier, that might affect... You might get more skin tears, more infections. Yeah, and then as your foot changes, I guess the weight-bearing status within the foot changes Definitely. a little bit. And that increases the chance of getting things like the ingrowing toenails mm-hmm. and corns, calluses, that sort of stuff. And presumably mm. kind of worsening those deformities as well once you start putting weight through the yeah. wrong area. Yeah. Yeah. And then the shoes that you were pain. wearing are no longer the best ones for you, so yeah. you get rubbing, you yeah. get blistering from, from your footwear. So we can see that good foot care is really important uh, because it can lead on to reduced pain, so then you can potentially improve their balance and their functionality of their feet. You can lead to increased mobility and physical activity if those were things that were limiting you before. Increased self-esteem because you feel good about yourself and you can do the things that you yeah. could do before. Um, and if you've got, you know, if your feet are, are sort of pretty nasty and your nails aren't very nice, then it doesn't feel nice, you know, and you're not going to sort of... Ian, speaking from personal experience. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it doesn't feel nice and, you know, and, and it doesn't just generally... You can see it just generally gets you down, doesn't mm. it? You know? yeah. Um, so if you're feeling better about things and your feet are less painful, you're probably more likely to go out. So improved kind of social contact and participation in the things that you were doing before and reduce risk of trips and falls. So it's a win-win really, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's difficult to know exactly what foot care is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we're going to talk about in a little yes. bit. But it's a, it's a real problem. And so the things we're going to talk through, we're going to kind of talk through the things that people can do for themselves and things that you should encourage people to uh, kind of build into their routine and then things for us as healthcare professionals to think about as well. But some of the reasons that uh, people may not take care of their own feet may be a kind of education thing, which we can help Mm -hmm. with some of the things we're going to talk about. Also, it might be quite practical reasons that they find it difficult to look after themselves. 
And so 31% of older people can't cut their own toenails. So that might be because they can't reach them or because they can't hold the nail clippers mm-hmm. because of arthritis or any other deformities. I suppose they might feel dizzy as well if they bend down or might be on mm. other medications, have other medical problems that affect how they can reach their feet. Yeah, visual impairment as well. They Definitely. can't see what they're doing. Or going back to kind of uh, the thickness and fungal infections, they might have become too thick for them to do themselves. Mm. And that's also really common in patients who have diabetes. Yeah. Um, and about probably 20% of patients with diabetes will have some form of foot problem. And those people need a review by a specialist, a podiatrist, really, if they develop any problems. problems. To prevent and then also the moment anything starts to to maintain and see them. There is Department of Health guidance on this. Is there? There is, yes. Published in 2009. (laughs) And we'll put the reference for this in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So there are two main things that people can do for themselves. One each, guys. <laughs> so I suppose cutting your toenails mm-hmm. um, and filing the edges down um, rather than cutting straight across. And then skincare. So putting moisturiser um, regularly because uh, cirrhosis, which is dry skin, is a real problem um, for our older patients and really needs quite a, a long length of treatment. Mm. A treat of 28 days. I didn't really know that. Um, and in some people, it may need even much, much longer mm. treatment as the protective barriers in the skin, as the skin ages, they degrade and the skin is less resistant to the damage from serous fluids, which I guess is why you get such inflammation with lipotomatosclerosis. Yes. Because it sort of comes out in it. Mm. You know. And I'll, I'll put the reference for this in the show notes, but the frequency of application of screen creams is more important really than the particular cream or barrier preparation that you use and making sure the skin's dry before you put it on particularly between the toes often gets forgotten doesn't it yeah Mm. and then that that moisturizer then helps improve the barrier function of the the skin and then reduces uh, any breaks in the skin Mm. or cracks there's one important thing to clarify there that amy just said which is about between the toes Mm. it's making sure that we dry between the toes but don't necessarily moisturize because if they become too moist between the toes, then you can get skin breakdown and cracks. I've learned something, Joe. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's things that we as healthcare professionals can do. Mm. And there's three of those. And there's three of us. <laughs> That's handy. That's it's handy, clear, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. Or footy. Yeah. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, do you want to start? So in terms of footwear, I suppose it's actually looking at what people have on their um, on their feet and commenting and advising people. Um, so looking at whether the shoe is loose or whether it is nice fit and what the grip is like on the bottom of the shoe. I mean, there's a, a podcast called Senior Rehab Podcast who uh, is a physiotherapist in America and he did an episode on this and a little while Dustin, ago. that's Dustin, isn't it? Dustin. We talked about Dustin yes. before. Dustin was one of our first ever followers on Twitter. Yes. <gasps> So go over and have a listen to that. So there's some really good topics on there. And then prevention advice, as we have talked about. So keeping the feet clean, dry, uh, comfortable and warm and promoting good health advice, uh, good foot health advice based on their lifestyle and their circumstances. So tailoring that they're diabetic or their peripheral neuropathy and those kinds of things, kind of taking that into account when you're talking to them. And the third thing we can do, so we've got footwear advice, we've got prevention advice. And then the third thing is about signposting and recognising that uh, people's feet can change, um, they can get pain or infection, and they may not talk about it always. So it's it's worth always asking 
think about whether or not someone needs to go to an orthopaedic surgeon. They've got arthritis mm, or uh, for orthotics. Or if you work in social care, really signposting people to go and see their GP or the district nurse or their community team. If you identify um, that as a problem, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that uh, Dustin did in his senior rehab podcast. He would recommend people to the local shoe shop and the shoe shop would recommend people back to the physiotherapist mm. they're finding problems with their feet, which I thought was really nice. And I think once you start discussing feet and the importance of them, you can really inspire your team, can't you? Mm. So if you see someone with a fall, it should be something that people routinely comment on. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that because... Yeah, exactly. It needs to become routine yeah. to build confidence with it, to do it routinely. Yeah. So that was the Department of Health guidance, really mm-hmm. split into those two bits. So let's let's move away from that, and then let's just think a bit more practically about those things that our patients can do, mm. and about the some of the skin care. Yeah. So we talked about um, drying the toes well, kind of between the toes, especially, but not using talcum powder. No. Because that can actually clog the skin and cause more friction between the toes, which is counterintuitive. I wouldn't have thought that way. No. And washing the feet every day, I think that's probably one of the biggest things, isn't it? I think that's sometimes forgotten on wards, isn't it? Also changing your socks every day? Yeah. Ian? <laughs> yeah, I change mine every day. <laughs> You've Did you know, Joe, that you make... Glad to hear it. <laughs> about the, 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 apparently you make about 250 mils of sweat from your feet every day. I don't. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Is that both feet? don't know. Um, so it's important to encourage people to moisturise every day. And I've learnt today that they shouldn't be moisturising between the toes because they become too moist and the skin can split. And actually to review footwear um, and look at the safety and stability of, 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 the, uh, of the shoe. And I guess just to keep the toenails cut. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a tip to tell people, isn't it, if they cut their toenails after they've been in the bath, um, then it might be easier for them to cut their toenails if they're you know, difficult. So we've talked a lot about um, foot care and kind of areas to start focusing on as part of your kind of routine holistic assessment. But foot pain is not something that we've talked too much about. It's something that can really affect quality of life. And there was one study of 300 community dwelling men and women that were quite young, sort of from the age of 60 over. And they found that older people, and sorry, this brings me on to one of my bugbears. These studies talk about older people. But actually, they're only including patients who are over the age of 60. I don't really think someone that's 61 <laughs> is counted as older. Anyway. Preaching so to the choir. <laughs> they found that older people with disabling foot pain mm-hmm. had a reduced quality of life, uh, more functional impairment, and alterations to the foot function that, as we've said already, may lead to an increased risk of falls. It's a compound thing, yeah. And and their conclusion from the study is is really... And this this comes true from all of the stuff that I've read about looking at the feet so far, that their conclusion is that providing interventions may lead to an improvement in these things. Mm. But actually, Not very no many one's done that looked yet. At them, yeah. You know, it, it just Anyone seems to me like research it's, project. Yeah, it's crying out for, for a project to, to address Rhyme. these things mm. and, you know, use orthotics as an mm. intervention and actually see if you do reduce falls yeah. and improve quality of life. So there's one small study, though, having said all of that, that does look at using orthotics to try and improve postural stability by increasing the somatosensory and sort of sensations in the feet. And that showed that the use of orthotics can help that and they can help in the biomechanical effort of walking as well. Mm. But they didn't go on to see whether or not that transcends into reduction in falls. So it was more sort of a, a pure like physiological study, if you like. 
there were similar findings in in other kind of similar studies looking at um, the hallux valgus pain, so having bunions, which is something that can be operated on depending on yeah. you know how uh, fit you are. So worth addressing. Yeah. And so I think that leads on to us talking about the sort of footwear that people wear. Yes. Thinking about orthotics. And I have a little quiz for Joe and Amy. Fantastic. I've been um, purposefully not looking at this bit okay. of the script. So what we're thinking about here is we're thinking about routine or normal footwear. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about the advice we're going to give to patients. Okay. Okay? Not Joe's normal heels. No. What? I'm going to give you a few options and you can choose from them. Do we have a buzzer? You don't have a buzzer. Are you going to bring in examples of shoes? No. <laughs> Not it's like a, a shoe a, shop. A, Amy, you know how we do this? This is a radio-based thing. <laughs> this is audio. This is an audio thing. This isn't going to work as examples. <laughs> so, the first question mm-hmm. is, barefooted or shoed? So, not personal preference, what we would recommend. What we'd recommend to reduce the risk of falls and injury. Are we talking good shoes? We're talking good or shoes. barefoot. Yes. Good We're not shoes. talking high heels. Uh, I'm going to go with good shoes, but I You're really wish it was... You're both right. Okay. You're both right. Goes with good okay. Shoes. <laughs> now, we're talking about heel height. Okay. Ooh. Are we talking low heel or are we talking high heeled? Low heel. Not difficult, I don't think. Do you I'll, agree, I'll, agree, I'll agree, but personally, no. Okay. Interestingly, <laughs> though, high heeled shoes lead to a lower walking speed lead to a shorter step and an increased cadence, which increases the risk of falls over and above the height of the heel. Okay, now, slightly harder one, the sole of the shoe. Mm -hmm. A soft sole or a hard sole? Hard, Mm. so you actually pick up changes your feet can detect. Well, I'll go soft. Okay, well, Amy would be right, it is a hard sole. What can I say? Okay, and then the sole thickness. Are we talking about a thin sole? Or a thick sole? Probably thick sole if we're thinking about what... Are you thinking about grip, Joe? Are you thinking if they've got a thick sole, they might have good grip? Yeah, and kind of transmit less through mm. from the impact. I'm thinking if you have a really chunky sole, though, you can't detect changes yeah. in oh, and good gradients. Point, yeah. I think Amy's right, yeah. So you <sighs> want... I'm a shoe expert. Does she win a pair of shoes? Well, we've not finished the quiz yet. <laughs> There's still time, Joe. This is too much fun. So, yeah, so thick and soft soles uh, impair stability during walking by reducing your foot position awareness. They reduce your proprioception and your mechanical stability. And so they may actually pose an even greater threat to stability during a, during a challenging task. So if you're walking on cobbles or something difficult, because mm. you know, um, it's sort of the, the, their effects are impounded. So your foot needs to be able to bend... For you to be able to appreciate changes, is that what you're? Yes, but not too much, but and you need to be much. able to feel the floor. It's like going very specific. It's a thorny issue. It's a thorny issue. It's a thorny <laughs> issue. Really is. I will put a, a picture of the ideal shoe on the uh, the show notes. So the next question is about the flaring of the sole, and that's where if you think of trainers. You know, the sole flares out oh, a I little see, bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see. Okay. So to flare or not to flare? I feel like trainers you use to to run. And help your stability sound. They must have done some research into yeah. it. They wouldn't just do that, that for no reason. Yeah. Flared. We're going for flared. Going flared. Well, you're part right. <laughs> so, um, flared soles are less slippy. There's evidence for that. Okay. But there's no evidence for their use in older people. Oh. Is that because no one's looked? Probably. And then the final option mm-hmm. is the position of the, the tread on the sole. Should it be on the heel and the main bit of the shoe? 
or just on the main bit of the shoe? Surely the more tread, the better. Yeah. I'd just put it everywhere. Both be right. <laughs> Along yes. the sides. Are there any yeah. studies on colour of shoe? <laughs> I don't know about that. That didn't come up in my literature search. Again, studies, people. Yes. So what we've learnt <laughs> is that shoes are better than barefoot, low heels, a hard, thin sole with yep. a tread that's on both the ball of the foot and under the heel. Mm. As you said, we'll put a picture of that in the show notes. Yep. So not slippers. Not basically. slippers, no. And we should really be thinking about using adaptations to make the footwear more like that. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to say something controversial here then. The the grippy socks we put on everyone oh, in hospital. I was hospital, just thinking about that. That defies most of those I think it does, but I think it's... And it's pretty close to being barefoot. Yes, but I think non-slippy socks were introduced as part of the full safe program. Mm. And in that context, I think there is some... It's not study evidence, but there's some QI evidence that it helps with falls reduction. So it's part of the bigger programme. Yeah, but I think it's because, if not, people it's had nothing. Better than something else. And so it's, sure. it's, they're less slippy than normal feet on the floors. Or normal socks. Yeah. People use those socks for a long time, though. I find them when I go on home visits. I quite often continue to use them at home. Really? That's not changing every day, then, is it? And not changing every day. No. And the tread on the bottom of the sock is quite often on smooth well it leads on to the thing of you know when people leave hospital maybe part of our discharge yes. advice should be some advice about footwear specifically for people that have fallen over mm. you know that and, would be and, difficult to do is just and direct like people to standard yeah set of recommendations like that wouldn't it if you do anything like this uh, or have kind of this kind of foot health stuff in your routine practice then let us know and send us some examples we, we can put them on the website to share with people because I, I really don't know of that many places that do it really routinely no. it'd be interesting to hear about that so that was us talking about foot health and mm-hmm. um, we've talked about the importance of good foot health and foot care in older people we've talked about a little bit about understanding the impact on mobility and falls of poor foot health and some of the skills really of basic sort of foot care and that we really should look at people's feet and anyone that's falling over, got skin trouble or got arthritis as a potential sort of, it's an easy win really yeah. in terms of trying to Absolutely. work with false prevention. We were talking before about marginal gains in things. This is absolutely one of them. This is it. The MDT Podcast. And now it's time for the MDT teaser. This is our catchily titled MDT Item Guessing Game, where we will read out a series of increasingly more simple clues about an item that a member of our MDT may use. And we've totally forgotten the scores now. <laughs> I think I was winning those, so let's just take Maybe. that as given. Yeah. Uh, so, because we've got Amy in the studio, we thought that we would put her to good use. So this time, uh, Amy's going to do the MDTs to us. We're going to have to confer and come up with yes. a single answer, or we're we going to both guess and see who guesses it first. Don't know. What do you reckon? I think let's both guess. Okay, individually. See. Yeah. Okay. No it's, conferring. I'm involved in the best bit. This is exciting. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, first clue. I keep this object in the back of my car for home visits. Bag. No. Is well, it I do, but no. A thermometer. No. Okay, next clue. Do you need another clue? Yes, please. We do. So this item can be disposable or washable, and it comes in a variety of colours. Tourniquet? Good 
guess, but no. Is it the slippy socks we were talking about? The non-slippy socks <laughs> no, we were talking about? No, they get thrown away at any opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> do you need a third clue? We do. Okay. I'm being a bit mean here, actually. Um, <laughs> this item can be used to make a person more comfortable. Oh, have you got like an, uh, a cushion for them to sit on? I do, but that's not the okay. answer. Is it a, a blanket for people that don't have, you know, the colours? It's washable. It could be disposable. I can see where you're going, but no. No. Good, good <laughs> guessing. You must have been doing How this for a while. How did you think her car is? <laughs> Just a blanket. <laughs> um, okay. Got a tent in there as well. <laughs> this item can be used by two healthcare professionals... Or the person may use it to facilitate their own independence when transferring. Ooh, I think I know what it is. What do you think it is? Is it a slide sheet? Goodness, that's good. Ooh. Fantastic, Ian. Well done. Thank you. Oh. It's an essential piece of my kit. Well I like done, that one. Ian. That's a good that's one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us, Amy. And now it's your turn. We have an MD teaser clue for you. And this adds into the clues from the last couple of weeks. Yes. So the clue this time is one component of this has many colours but only one taste. What do you think it is? Send us your ideas uh, using the hashtag MDTeaser on Twitter or you can go to Facebook and it's facebook.com forward slash MDTpodcast or via the website and our website is www.thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk and our next episode is on nutrition. MDT will reconvene in two weeks' time. Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. The MDT Podcast is a Hearing Aid Podcast's Big Things Media production. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org. Dot uk.